Hello and welcome to The Spill Sesh with Sage, episode 6. In this episode, I have a very special guest. Her name is Devika and we talk about the awareness of sexual violence that women and men experience. Um, I just want to put a little trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. I understand it's a very sensitive topic and the reason why we're talking about it is because we want other people who have gone through it to know that they're not alone and to have an open conversation about what we've both been through and the trauma that that entails as well and of course how to focus on recovery as well as we answered a couple of your questions that you sent in so i really hope that you learn something from this episode and most importantly that you reach out for help if something like this has happened to you as well i hope you enjoy the episode thank you so much devika for coming on once again devika hello welcome to the spill sesh Hi, Sejal. I am so happy to be here. Dude, I was just like saying thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've been following you for like quite a while already. I remember I slid into your DMs or something like a few years ago and then we've just been like following each other. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the exact moment I connected with you because it was through Sangeeta as one of your friends. Yeah, she uh, she and I, we did um, we did um, Deepavali performance together for Vasantam and that's how I connected with her and then she was telling me about all her fantastic Aww. friends which also included <laughs> you and I'm like who is this gorgeous girl I love her I must follow what? so I followed you <laughs> and yeah yeah I think you're beautiful oh, thank you right back at you girl <laughs> okay if any of you listening don't know who Devika is girl what are you doing you're living under a rock she is the winner of Miss V Supreme she's a TED Talk speaker she's an actress she's a TikTok star <laughs> oh my god I'm not a TikTok star <laughs> I aspiring TikTok star yeah, I mean, perhaps this whole quarantine thing has put me in a spot with TikTok now, doesn't hasn't it? Yes, so it's like, um, I mean, I would love to do more things on TikTok, but I usually, I'm one of those people who just scroll and scroll and watch other TikToks and laugh. Mm-hmm. And I can spend hours on it. Have a lot of it. videos in my drafts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of yours. I love it. Really? <laughs> but I think the main thing about you um, that I have always been so inspired by is that you, you know you're an advocate for the awareness of sexual violence and I always just used to think to myself I cannot ever be able to put myself in your shoes and be able to come publicly with such a story I I don't know how, how I just always like felt it was such an inspiration and you I'm sure you know but you have made many girls like me and other girls or and guys who have experienced this like feel a lot more comfortable with their own story. Thank you. I mean, um, it is a very personal and invasive experience for anyone to have gone through sexual violence, you know. Mm-hmm. And even for me, my story was from my childhood. And even though I have come forward and spoken about my childhood sexual abuse, there have been other instances of sexual violence in my life that I am not ready to come forward and talk about mm-hmm. either. So it's like um, even people like me who raise awareness on these things, it's it's not like we are over this incident, you know. It is a journey and it's a process of healing. And sometimes you heal from one incident more than the other. And it's it's very personal to each individual. So... I am grateful for all the other people who come forward and talk about it. But I also want those who are still um, working through 
their experience, still healing, I want them to not feel guilty for not coming forward and talking about this because it's, it is their prerogative what they do with their story. Some people just want to bury it and move on because that's what best helps them in their recovery. Some people want to come forward and spread awareness. And both is valid. I too have experienced different things in my life. And the way that you say that, you know, just because you came up with one story doesn't mean you're ready to come up with the others. This is the first time on this episode where I'll also be talking about something that happened to me four years ago. It took me four years to be able to... um talk about it and on a platform where I can bring awareness but that doesn't mean that's the only thing that happened and then I'm like perfectly fine I'm still working through other um, things that have happened as well and that is like somewhere that I'm just like still healing and still getting ready to like maybe one day shed light on but I completely I think that's the best thing best way to put it is that if it's, it's up to you your story is really up to you it's either if you want to come out and talk about it great if you don't want to come and talk about it also great and if you want to lock it up in a in a cabinet and not even like have any conversation whatever makes you comfortable really so i think that i i hope that anyone listening to this already like they just feel like comfortable listening and just knowing yeah. that they're not alone i think the biggest thing for me when i saw your cna article i think this was in 2018 right or something like that you I believe so. Yeah, like two years ago. <laughs> so I remember I was in hall and I was just like scrolling through. Then I see like this, um, that you have a CNA article came out and I read it and I swear to God, I was just like, no way. Because what happened to me was also in 20, you know, minus in 2017. So it, I was just, I was shocked. I was like, no way. I ne-. It also really just goes to show you really never know what someone's going through. I used to just look at you and be like, my gosh, yeah. you're such a great dancer. But I never thought um, any of this you know, could have ever happened. So I I think that just also goes to show. And I remember I slid into your DMs and I was like, hey, <laughs> by <Yeah>. the way, <laughs> there's also something kind of happened. We're like, no way. Yeah, so, I mean, how did that article even come about? I'm actually I'm actually a spokesperson with AWARE. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if everyone's aware. <laughs> no, <Nobody laughs> but uh, I'm not sure if people are aware of this organization called AWARE. Um, they have... They have Singapore's first sexual assault care centre. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not wrong, it's the only sexual assault care centre. Yep. And I'm a spokesperson for them. So a couple of years back, I my I, I did a nude shoot with one of my best friends um, in an effort to raise funds for AWARE as well as Dotem Power, which is like Daughters of Tomorrow and Power. Um, and these are two organisations that support women in our society. So... Through that nude photo shoot that I did, through the auction that took place, um, I was able to get in touch with the directors at AWARE, who then got me in touch with the Sexual Assault Care Centre after they heard my story, because the nude photograph, the nude photo shoot that we did was to celebrate women's strength and resilience and to portray me in my most vulnerable is is to portray me in my most vulnerable place, which I'm like completely nude. But even then, nobody can take my power away from me. It's up to me what I do with this body. It's my decision. So that was what this entire nude photo shoot, the series was supposed to embody. And it, it reached out to people in that sense. And Aware was very moved by my story. And they were like, we want you to like represent us as well. So I got in touch with uh, SACC. 
And I think within a year, SACC was starting their new campaign called Aim for Zero. So this is a campaign that we wanted to do after the whole Me Too movement because Me Too blew up to become this huge global global um, thing, you know, and so many people were coming forward to share their stories. It brought light to the to the severity and the gravity of like the sexual abuse that's happening in our societies. And but what now? Like what are we gonna do now? We've already come forward, we've established what kind of sexual violence exists, we've seen the spectrum. But how can we work towards a community that has zero tolerance for sexual violence? And that's what Aim for Zero is all about. Mm-hmm. And that's how I became like an official spokesperson for SACC, for AWARE. And through that, through them, I managed to get a lot of like interviews with um, Straits Times or Channel News Asia, even Millennials of Singapore. Mm-hmm. And very recently, I think my most recent work was with our grandfather's story so if anyone hasn't watched it um do watch it i highly recommend it because it is the most is the most informative and sensitive production i've been on for anything that had got to do with sexual violence because they did their research and you know so it was it was through it was through aware that i got in touch with channel news asia mm-hmm. And it was through them that I did this interview with Channel News Asia as well. And I was really glad that they did a very good article. They did. It was very factual and it didn't yeah. make into some sob story. It just made, in fact, it put you in a very yeah. um, inspirational light. It didn't make you sound like a victim of any sort. It made you sound like a survivor. And I think that yeah. is always the best way to go about it and with news and with media it's very hard to ensure that they get your story across exactly so when i read the streets yeah. time cna everything was very very well done so I'm, I'm so glad that for you your story really really came across yeah i mean it's just it's also being just respectful to my experience and they weren't like probing me on like the details of my abuse mm-hmm. and this is something that i think a lot of media outlets try to mm-hmm. do is that they try to get like the details of what you went through in your abuse or your assault and to me i i feel like if you don't handle that with tact first of all the victims are not like nobody's entitled to the victim's experience because first it's a very traumatizing event and if they don't feel comfortable divulging on like the details of it then the media outlets should not press on and there have been instances when i've encountered people in the media who try to press on on these details for me and this is what I would refer to as like the glorifying of sexual abuse Mm. and the story of it because it because of the nature of this thing it's very easy for people to like want to get the juice of everything right yeah it's sensational but but you know uh, it's it's a fine line between like glorifying something sensationalizing something and bringing awareness to something it's a very fine line and not everyone can walk that fine line and I think that's why, like, the whole... I, I was just having a conversation with my dad yesterday. I was telling him that, okay, so this is, you know, my episode for the podcast. And he obviously knows what happened to me all those years ago. And he was like, are you, you know, are you sure you want to bring this up? Like, will you be able to handle it? I said, it's been four years. And if, if I can even help one person, like, just anyone listening to this podcast, like, realize that they are not alone and... If I can help someone else just be aware of what this whole situation is, 
then I know I would have done something good and this is why I have to do it. You know, and it's okay that it took four, exactly. like how many years for you? How many, I mean, was this the first time you were talking about it publicly when the CNA article came out? Um, no, actually, the first time I talk, talked about publicly was um, at the age of 21. I actually did a, I did a scholarship submission. It was like an art project that I had to submit for a university scholarship program. And it required me to talk about something that I had overlooked on a daily basis. So I was like, what should I talk about? Should I talk about electricity? Should I talk about water? You know, I waste a lot of water in the shower. Like, I, sh- I don't know what I should talk about. And I, I, <laughs> and I felt like, you know, I don't know what it was. Something reached out and I felt like I had to talk about my body mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people from like the outside, they'd see me and I'm, I'm, I'm what people would consider as like, oh, she has like a, you know, normal body. But like, do I really feel like this is a normal body mm-hmm. to me? You know, I've struggled a lot to accept this body because of the abuse it's gone through. And every moment I live in this body is a reminder of, like, the trauma. Yes. And and so I've I've never really taken care of it. So I, like, did this whole three-piece photo, photo, photo series on, um, firstly, the abuse I went through and how my body is directly connected to this abuse and this experience. It's forever etched in, like, my body. And second photo was how dance was like my escape. It was the only time I felt like I could, I could be in control of my body. It's the only time I felt like I owned my body. And the third one was how the obsession in dance and how much I was just carried away with the exhilaration that came from performing, that I wasn't taking care of myself when I injured my knee or when I felt sick. I wasn't because I just wanted to feel in control of my body mm-hmm. to a point where it was detrimental to me and it was about self-awareness and understanding that I didn't have to go through extreme measures because at the end of the day, this body still belongs to me. This body went through a lot of things and I got the scholarship. Congrats. (laughs) So I was, so when I submitted that piece of work to the school, I was like, you know, if I get the scholarship, I need to put this story out there because I need to share this with the world because it's, it's, if someone saw value in this, if someone was moved to a point where they were willing to give me scholarship for my story, something that's so personal to me, then I think it will help people out. And I think the most the most frightening part of it was to inform my parents that I was gonna. Yeah, I was just gonna ask, how because... did you? How did that? What was their reaction? And how did you even bring it up? <laughs> like how? Ah. Uh... Well, first of all, I, I did the shoots in my house. Like, um, I mean, the last picture that I did was in my house. And I remember, like, having to lie to my parents about what I was going <laughs> to talk about for this, um, you know, for this scholarship project. Because my parents are pretty traditional. They used to be pretty traditional. And they didn't want me to share my experience with anyone. Course, yeah. Because, not because they thought that, you know they wanted to silence me or anything like that. Not at all. It came from a good place. They just wanted to protect me. They wanted, they didn't want my name to be tarnished in any Mm -hmm. way, Mm -hmm. you know, but that them saying those words, like just them encouraging that I silence my story had its own like repercussions on my recovery and all this, but I don't want to put too much into that yet. I, when I got the news that my scholarship, they, they had given me the scholarship, I looked at my parents and I was like, so you know how I told you that this was 
what I did for the scholarship submission. Well, that's not true. <laughs> I actually talked about my sexual abuse. And my parents were so uncomfortable. They were like, oh my god, like why? Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> they were just oh my god. <laughs> they were so confused. And and I told them, look, I'm 21. Because this incident happened to me when I was seven. And I've struggled with it alone for a very long time. And the only reason I could survive through all of it was because I chanced upon the story of someone else who's been through sexual abuse. And I knew that that person was able to succeed. So if I can move somebody else, like same thing yeah. that you say, if one person can read my story and feel like they're not alone in this, feel like there is hope for them, know that they can overcome these things, yeah. then like I've succeeded at like, helping a person you know i've succeeded with inspiring a person to continue living and not let some guy who or somebody i don't even want to say guy somebody deciding to impose their will over you to stop you from living the life that you deserve yeah and my parents were like i guess she's right (laughs) (laughs) i like that and they were terrified because i had like a lot of uh, relatives on my facebook and they were just worried. Like, not all my family members, like, not all my relatives knew about the incident that happened to me. It was a very privately handled situation. And so when I finally came out on Facebook with this thing, I was terrified because I was like, I don't know how people are going to react. And this wasn't... Like, me too haven't reached Singapore yet. Mm. It was still, like, something that was happening on the other side of the world. So I was unaware of this movement taking place. And I just... I just, you know, posted it on Facebook. And as a woman of color, like as an Indian girl, I was getting a lot of encouragement and support from people because they were like, I, yeah, I've been through this too, but I couldn't tell anyone because of my, my culture, because of this. And that's when I realized that there are so many people that I knew, like my friends, my classmates who have been through the same thing and we didn't know about these things about each other. Why would we, right? Because like, it's what, just it's so hum- Like it's like, how do we even bring this up you know, how do we talk about yeah. it? And especially, like you said, being brown. It's so hard because everything just becomes gossip. And that's not the yeah. point that, you know, we want to bring across. So, uh, seriously, I, I... Till now, I'm, I still don't know how, like, how you did it. Because even exactly what you said, like you're, some of your relatives didn't know. And I have, I have like, relatives going to be listening to this podcast and be like, what is this? What is she talking about? Like, what do you mean? So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, like, so scared, you know. But I also know that you were that story for me. You know, when you said that you, when the reason why you survived is because you read a story about someone else and how, and you knew that if that person could succeed, then why can't you, right? And like, really, like, you were that story for me. When I read that story as senior, it really moved me in another way where I was like, if she could survive that and come out on top and still literally kill the game in every aspect and I like it just um like that's what I'm hoping this episode can be you know for someone else so really like yeah I can't imagine man what was the reaction did you get any like feedback from your family when you posted it on Facebook I mean my parents got a couple of feedback (laughs) (laughs) because my my aunts and uncles some of them were like I didn't know this happened I'm so sorry and like they were sympathetic 
Mm-hmm. You know, like they were sympathetic. My parents were mostly worried about like the backlash I might experience, but surprisingly, I didn't get any backlash. Oh, that's great. Oh, I didn't. The okay. So here's the interesting thing I've observed over the the years of my advocacy is that when I spoke about my childhood sexual abuse experience, I received no backlash, but when I spoke about like um uh, an experience um when I got groped in the bus or in the train, sorry. I publicly spoke about it because the day that I got groped, I came back home and I recorded myself on Instagram and I shared what I was going through in that moment, unfiltered. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of like people giving feedback on like, oh, you should have just got up and run away. You should have this. You should have that. Like, you should not have just sat there. You should not have allowed him to grope you. Like, how does that so, work? So like, yeah. it's. And this was a this was a culture shock for me because I was like, but I came out about my childhood sexual abuse and everybody was so empathetic. But now because I'm an older woman, you should know better. I'm like that's what it's almost yeah. Like. And now it was a shock to me. Um, but that's the thing, you know. I feel like people's you cannot ever gauge people's response to things, which is also why I understand if some people don't want to come forward about their mm-hmm. story. You know, and I completely empathize, and I know, like, and for me, it took me what seven till I was twenty one. How long 14, is that? My math 14, is so right? bad. Okay. Seven times three, fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I dropped it off JC, dude. Like, my math is worse. More than more than ten yeah. years. Okay, <laughs> ten to fifteen years before I like, before I realized that I have to come forward and talk about mm-hmm. this. You know, before I finally came forward and talked about it, and yeah, it's, it's just. That was where it all started, actually, right. because I realized that a lot of people that I knew, close friends, even my cousins, had gone through sexual abuse, and nobody was talking about this. And it's so scary because how do you how do you fix something that nobody wants to talk about? Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'll take one for the team. You, really you know, I will start this shit. Like, Dude, that's exactly what you did. You took one for the team. Like no one can talk about it because it's so traumatic and. Like you really did, <laughs> so I applaud you for that. And I and I relate to you yeah. when you say that, um, you took control of it, but it also became detrimental to a point where like you were not taking yeah. care because I did something very similar, but with I mean, I can't like dance dance. Okay, I'm not a professional dancer, but for me, we gym, so I would translate all my um, emotional turmoil into physical turmoil at the gym and at first you know it used to be like you think that it's a healthy thing like oh, okay at least she's you know going to exercise <laughs> she's gonna sweat it out yeah. and she, she's at least doing something healthy because there are not there are a lot of different coping mechanisms for trauma and um if it just you know on paper like oh going to the gym is a healthy way to do it but the way i was doing it was i was going to the gym i think like five times a week every day and i would like go hard and my body would be in mm-hmm. physical pain like to the point where I like, couldn't move. I was getting injuries. I was getting injured, but I wouldn't care. Until I think my parents had to yeah. tell me, like, this is not the way to do it. Because what I was doing was translating that emotional pain to physical pain. So that would be easier to bear. It's almost like physical pain. You know, it's, yeah. it, you can treat it. But with emotional pain, it's like, it's um, it's a very uncomfortable feeling that you have to sit with. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah so I completely understand why, you know, you did that. But at some point... You just got to realize you got to take care of your body. And um, that's when I had to step back and like realize, I'm okay, maybe I shouldn't be going so hard at the gym. Maybe I can like spread it out, go for a shorter amount of times. Mm-hmm. But that also takes a lot of level of like um, strength also to like, Discipline. yeah, to sit with me like, okay, today is going to be the day where I'm going to be 
facing my emotional pain and I'm going to let it be emotional and not physical. And that, you know, to anyone who does that also, like, it's very, very hard because it's it's hard to explain even. Like, how do you even explain an emotional turmoil? There's no words for it. With physical pain, like, oh, my, my back is aching. My my neck is aching. Yeah. But with emotions, it's like, how, how do you... It's trauma. It's PTSD. You can't see, you can't see it. it. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's the same as, like, mental yeah. health because if you are, let's say you break an arm, there's evidence for you breaking Correct. your arm like you can see Correct. it and people can understand oh you're in pain like i see that you've broken your arm but when you're going through depression or anxiety it's a very internal process that you're going yeah. through how do you how can you possibly prove that to somebody you mm-hmm. know it's it's like it's so internal and so this whatever you just mentioned about translating emotional turmoil into physical pain it makes a lot of sense you know it's a very common coping mechanism yeah. uh which within like the any between anyone who's been through abuse or trauma any form of thing you know yeah and yeah so like that makes sense and I'm really glad that you've you've come to a place where you can recognize that it was unhealthy Mm -hmm. and you could like allow yourself to sit with your emotion and just be yeah I mean it's definitely it's all part of the process it is part of the process it's definitely really hard to sit with I think that's something that I still struggle with to be able to just like sit and like okay sucks this is the ptsd this is the everything <laughs> but you just gotta sit through it it'll end but yeah it's 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 really you gotta just do it but i also want to talk about your ted talk that was uh i remember what, what year was that when it came out your ted talk was it last year it was last, last year, year right? actually. why does it seem like so long yeah. well, I feel like 2020 it's almost gonna be a year now <gasps> oh God. it was last year september 14th Ooh. this is like one of my proudest moments as it should be freaking ted talk like you know <laughs> what like i don't think you're letting that sink in it's a ted talk <laughs> trust me i was going crazy i know it was like <laughs> how okay truth be told i was not like i knew you know there's just sometimes you just have to know things about your future mm-hmm. so i knew that because that's the best way to manifest it is if you know it's gonna happen, mm-hmm. you know. And so I knew that some way, somewhere in the future, maybe like when I'm thirty or thirty-five, I'm gonna do the test. Yes. Cool. And then last year, when I'm twenty-five, I received a, an email from like TEDx Youth Singapore saying that, "Hi, Devika, we got your names to an uh, anonymous submission that." Um, like that, we would like for you to come and do this TED talk for us. We would like to, um. Sh- we would like you to come and share your story and then we will let you know through shortlisting if you are going to be one of the TED Talks. Damn. And I was freaking <laughs> out, sis. I was like, oh my God. Is this really happening? I thought it was a prank. Okay, <laughs> I thought it was a prank. I thought someone was pranking me. So I was like, I don't know if I should like... Because I'll be devastated if that yeah, was Yeah, dude. Like, oh my God. Oh. Which evil person would do this? Why do you hate me? Like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, and and so that's the funny thing. So I've always been, I always wanted to do a TED talk, TED talk, right? So I've always, like my whole life, I've been like, yeah, one day I'll give a TED talk, one day I'll give a TED talk. And then the moment came when they're like, okay, so you're going to have to give a TED talk. And I'm like, oh my God, what the heck do I even talk about? You have 12 yes. minutes, you know, it's you have time. standard 12 minutes. Correct. And I'm like, how do I, what, how, how oh do my I God. go But it was this? so well done because... Again, I don't know how you do it. You don't turn it into something about you. You turn it into like a lesson. There were so many points. I remember I just rewatched it recently also before our call. I was like, oh my God, this hit me the same way that it did when I first watched it. Like there were so many points. I was like, no, wait, what? Especially when you're talking about empathizing with your perpetrator. How? Like, that's, yeah. that's the same thing my therapist told me. 
but I was like, no, no, no. Like, no, 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 no. I was like, no, are you sure? He's like, yes, you know, you should learn to forgive. And I'm like, no, 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 sis. Then when you said it, I was like, oh, maybe, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I think, it, I mean, it's it's a very challenging thing to mm-hmm. do, you know. Have I, have I forgiven my perpetrator? Yes. Have I forgiven all my perpetrators? Mm-hmm. No. There are still people who have abused me, who have traumatized me that I have not forgiven yeah. because forgiveness is it's it takes a lot from you and so I'm not rushing myself mm. and I don't expect anyone else to rush themselves to forgive somebody because at the end of the day nobody's entitled to our forgiveness. Hundred percent, yeah. You know, yeah, and and for me, why I spoke about empathy for perpetrators is not because i think that they deserve our empathy uh, our oh my god i just said empathy and perpetrators together and i was gonna say empathy <laughs> oh my god i'm sorry no, no, not at all. so um <laughs> i feel i feel like the reason i i mentioned empathy for perpetrators was not because they deserved our empathy but more from like if we want to truly understand the root cause of why sexual violence exists in our society and why it happens in the first place, we are going to have to put ourselves in the shoes of our perpetrators, not to justify their actions, not to excuse what they did, because a lot of people don't realize that empathy and accountability can go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. You can hold someone accountable for their actions while also empathizing with them to just understand Um. Oftentimes, people get it mixed up, saying that, oh, if you can empathize with them, then clearly you're agreeing with what they did. Clearly, you're justifying what they did. But it's not. It's not the case at all. I felt like, for me, when I got to a place where I I started having a following and people were, like, listening to what I had to say about the issue, I felt like that was a huge responsibility for me. And clearly, as someone who's gone through sexual violence at the hands of men in my life, it is very easy for me to fall into an all men suck yeah. kind of a men are narrative trash and, and everything like that. Yeah. And I know that there's many like there's statistics to show that men have caused a lot of problems in society, but I don't believe that all men are trash. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think I wanted to understand why it is the case. Like like how Emma Watson mentioned, you know, like for us to fight for our cause, we need the opposite gender to stand with us as well and that means we stand with their issues as yes. well and from an advocacy point of view if i can understand why perpetrators do what they do then i can educate my male audiences on patterns and behaviors that they should be they should look out for within themselves so that they can identify if they have certain misconceptions of consent or if they are you know, if, if they are tolerating sexual violence behaviors and stuff. So it, like, it, it can actually help a person become better. Mm-hmm. It will also help us understand what exactly is it? Is it like cultural? Is it something that is got to do with upbringing? Was the perpetrator brought up in a very um, compassionless environment? Was the perpetrator abused himself yeah. or herself? And most of the cases actually... Sometimes it really is that they have gone through a horrible experience yeah. and that's how they lash out. Not saying that that's justifiable, but like you said, it's empathy. And it's it, yeah. I don't, it's, it's, a, it's a very hard term to explain because it, it's not like you're saying that what they did is right. You're just saying that maybe just take a step back and have that inner 
compassion for someone else to be able to understand yeah. and that that actually would help with your own healing process i mean coming from me and you like it Absolutely. really does help with the healing process when you're able to it empathize did. with your perpetrator it did it definitely helped me in mine but this is also where i i want to like make make a disclaimer or like just let my fellow survivors know that you know at the end of the day it is your process mm-hmm. so just because i say that you know empathizing with your perpetrators can help with identifying the real root cause of the issue itself doesn't mean that you have to immediately forgive this person mm-hmm. or doesn't mean that you have to empathize with the person either mm-hmm. this is just something that has helped me in my advocacy and helped me to gain a neutral ground in whatever i put forth because it's important for me to strengthen our cause without bringing down people who did nothing to us yeah you know just because they fall into a certain category yeah just because they are men mm. and it's a huge responsibility and i find myself time and time again trying to just you know recalibrate my beliefs because it's very easy for me to have a prejudice against men because men are the ones who have hurt me the most yeah. but it doesn't mean that i can just go around bashing every man i see because i have friends i have guy friends who stand with me who fight for this cause fight for equality fight for my rights they stand up for me and so like it's unfair to the people who truly want to help if we just categorize them as one mm-hmm. but your journey in forgiving your perpetrator if you want to forgive is absolutely yours and it's yours alone and nobody else can tell you how you should go about it 100% agree. besides your yeah besides your therapist, therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and also therapy just go for therapy dude like honestly therapy is great yeah it's it's so i love yeah, therapy ther- and also find the right therapist that also is a whole other podcast that thing is so on its true. own about how to find the right therapist and like you know but i think talking about it to someone whether it's your but then again like also whenever you're ready it's it's there's no like abc and then this is how you do it you know it's not a race it's, it's just whatever works for you but always know that there will be someone out there that is willing to listen to you and that will believe you because yeah. i think a lot of the times um that we struggle with is will anyone believe me like for me it, it was so mm-hmm. what happened to me four years ago was harassment so no one actually touched me you know no one actually like um yeah i think the word was touched that i was always like struggling with so if someone didn't touch me then did nothing actually happened but someone there was a man who like stared at my chest and i think i was like 19 um it was at a work event and he got his other male counterpart to come shake my hand and also stare at my chest and i remember in that moment i felt like something was wrong i felt violated but i couldn't understand why because i think we were not educated so much on like sexual harassment and harassment is when you're not touched by the person and then i was like why why do i feel this way i tried to brush it off because it was a work event i had to like put on my smile and like continue doing what i had to do but I remember when I came home I was telling my parents like oh you know um this man kind of did something and they were like I'm so lucky that at least they were willing to hear me of course there were questions here and there but at the end of the day they did believe me because I think I didn't even believe me for a very long time that something happened yeah. but for some reason I just didn't like the way I looked at my breasts anymore I didn't look like the way I looked at my body anymore whenever I when I was when I would walk all I would see would be men looking at my breast but like no one was but in my head people would be looking at my chest I would feel some sort of like weird pain um I would get like I don't know I would just get very stressed about it and so I know I just knew something was wrong I would get nightmares about it and I think that's when months and months I think not 
even months, maybe half a year later to like maybe eight months later, that's when I realized that, oh, this was sexual harassment and this is a traumatic experience. And I just wanted to touch a bit about like, you don't, if something happened to you, it doesn't have to be by definition of a book, you know? Like if something happened, it happened. Yeah. And it, it's very hard to believe yourself because, you know, as the, I don't like the word victim also, but like, yeah, okay, as the victim, like we kind of find ways to um, give excuses. Like, oh, for me, my dress, the button was like a bit open. So I kept thinking like, oh my God, it's because my button was open. But it took me a very long time yeah. to come to a point where it was not because of what I'm wearing. It was because those men were like sick in the head and they had to do that to a teenage girl. And that's, again, you know, I don't know why they did that. I, I, I really don't. But I know that it left a very lasting impact on me. And that's when I had to understand that just because I wasn't touched, it doesn't belittle what, you know, I went through. And I think that's the scary thing is sexual harassment happens so often that we just also kind of... Yeah brush it and there's no belittling someone's story there's no making like it's no because you know we we obviously tend to compare like oh this person had it worse this person had it not so great but it's honestly trauma is trauma don't don't compare yourself to anyone just like know that exactly you know if if you're if you're going through something that is not normal that's okay like someone will believe you i promise someone will believe you so but i think the first person that needs to believe it is you that you went through yeah something so i think it's a thank you for sharing that by Mm -hmm. the way because i know i know that it's hard yeah (laughs) because you're revisiting traumatic memories and i think you're very brave thank you for deciding to do this and i'm very glad that you decided to do this at your own pace and not Mm -hmm. because you were rushed by anyone and i promise you that someone who's listening to this will feel comforted and Mm -hmm. will feel reassured that they are not crazy for feeling like something made them feel violated or something that happened. They didn't, somebody didn't even touch me, but I feel violated. And that violation is valid. Yes. Okay. Like, you know, remember how early on I mentioned Me Too movement showed us the spectrum of sexual violence. So like sexual violence doesn't only mean that when you experience a physical form of sexual violence, that is sexual violence. Sexual violence refers to anything that makes you feel violated it makes you feel like you don't have power to your body anymore. That makes you yep. fear for your life. The moment you feel unsafe because of the action of someone else, so long as it is within the context of sexual, sexual, what do you, what is that? So long as it's a sexual context, mm-hmm. it's considered. It is sexual violence. Yeah. So even things like I, I've. Um, what you experienced. I've also had someone do the same thing and it was just a bunch of like guys come up mm. to me and in front of me, they were like whispering to each other, look at her, look at her tits, look at her boobs. Jeez, yeah. And it made me really uncomfortable. Even things like catcalling is sexual violence. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? And I talked about that in my TEDx as well. Mm. There was once uh, this guy catcalled me and my reaction to how I handle like how I handled him and how that changed my perspective on power how power is something that nobody can take away from us yeah it really isn't but some people will make it seem like they've taken your power away from you and this whole not being able to believe oh did this actually happen to me is did that did that just really happen these are all our 
it's a very normal coping mechanism for us to wrap our head around what has happened. And the first thing that we do is we tell ourselves, no, 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 I don't think that happened. Yes. I don't think that actually happened because what are the chances of this actually happening? Maybe I'm just overthinking. Yeah. Maybe I'm just, oh, maybe I'm just like being dramatic. Like this very, mm. very normal narrative that goes through your mind when the moment you experience something uncomfortable or violating like this. Yeah, it's a coping mechanism. It's it's like your brain is protecting you is. from realizing what actually happened. And like you said, yeah. like there are so many different kinds of sexual violence that some of us, we don't even know that sexual violence, which is why we should educate ourselves, you know, not just people who have gone through it. Just everyone should know what it is and how to identify it. And also like one more thing that you mentioned also, like how, you know, dif- you've had different experiences, but it just because you are talking about one it doesn't mean you have to talk about everything slowly baby steps you don't have to forgive every perpetrator and similar to me like just because like this is one story that doesn't mean that there aren't they aren't others but that doesn't mean i'm gonna be talking about all of them (laughs) in this episode you know like so just if anyone has been experiencing also it's like just go at your own pace dude like i it's already a very big thing if you're able to identify it within yourself like to have that realizing moment like oh something happened that is also very scary. Exactly. It's also it's possible that like why we start doubting ourselves when like something that's on the smaller and yes, this in quotes, small quote smaller, smaller spectrum. Correct. Um, we start to doubt ourselves. We ask ourselves, is this really something that should be making me feel this way? And all it's also because I believe a huge part of it is because of media portrayal of what sexual violence mm-hmm. is. Because what you usually read in the news, what you usually hear in like articles and stuff it's, it's all the major cases yes once again quotes, quotes. Major. it's all about it's more about the rapes it's more about the molestation mm-hmm. um gang rapes these kind of things which i agree is incredibly traumatic yeah. but there's this misconception that for f- sexual violence to take place there must be a violent act involved a physically violent act involved but that's not true a lot of sexual violence happens in not so violent fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually happens in any normal, non-violent scenarios, and it leaves the victim feeling like, was that really sexual violence? But he wasn't being rough with me. He wasn't being. The violence does not, is not, physical. Is not defined by yeah. It's not defined by like the act of violence. Yes. It's defined by. The act of violation. Yeah. Is someone violating your trust in them? Is someone violating your sense of safety? Mm. So long as, like I mentioned, so long as someone makes you feel unsafe, that is a violation in itself. Yeah, for sure. And you also wanted to touch on like how we view our bodies differently and how we can accept that, right? After a traumatic thing has happened to us. So how did you be able to like view your body in a precious way after that because that was something also I really struggled with and are still struggling with. This is a very... It's a, it's a process that varies from person to mm. person. For me, of course, dance helped. Yeah. Um, but what truly helped was just to take control of my... the things that I do with my body. Like... Do I want to wear this today? I'll wear this mm-hmm. today. Do I want to 
how do I explain this? There's no like formula to yeah. it, is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, you have to sit with yourself. And this one's one of those like emotional turmoil sitting with yourself scenario where you need to sit with yourself and ask yourself, how have you have changed ever since the situation, ever since this experience in your life? Have you changed anything about yourself? Have you changed the way you dress up? Have you changed the way you groom yourself? Mm-hmm. Have you changed the way you interact with people? And observe these things. Ask yourself, does this... Does this make you feel like you don't have your power? Does this make you feel like you don't feel like yourself anymore? And then ask yourself, how are you going to help yourself get to a place where you can start feeling like yourself again? Uh, I've also noticed that it's very easy for us who's, who've been through violation to to react with anger because it's like, how dare you do this to mm-hmm. me again kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? But um, I've learned over the past couple of years that Calm and composed reactions <laughs> are more effective than anger. Especially when you're confronting someone who's just made you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know how yeah, you keep so, a calm composure, but I'll try. I'll learn. Because I am the most feisty person like, <laughs> on this planet. Like, you want to fight? Like, let's go. And then, but you know. Oh my God. But no, no, no. I will. I am too. Yeah, I got to like turn that into calm and collective. What do you picture when you want to be calm? What, do you, what you were saying that you picture something? I, I, <laughs> in my mind, in my mind, like, okay, so I picture, you know, like the, do you watch Harry Potter? I love Harry Potter. You know, a bogart? Mm-hmm. You know how it represents your deepest fear? Your biggest yeah, fear? Yeah. Yeah. And like how you just say ridiculous and turn it into something funny. Right. So I kind of just do a mental version of that with the person whoever has made me uncomfortable. And thank you, J.K. Rowling, thank you, for like, making that yeah. possible. And the main takeaway I remember I had from your TED Talk was you said that I accept that I'm not defective, unlovable, and unworthy. And the word yeah. that really stood out to me was unlovable because this is a word that I have been saying for a while. Like, you know, um, especially during quarantine, you know, the dating scene is really weird. Like, It's almost like how... For me, the thought that always goes in my head is like, how will someone ever love me knowing all this emotional baggage I've, you know, been carrying for all these years? And it's something I've been repeatedly saying. Like, but how? I mean, no one can ever love me that way. And I don't blame them. Like, it's fine. But I just don't understand how they would ever love me. And that's something that... It's it's an acceptance. There's, again, no right or wrong way to finally realize that nothing yeah. is wrong with you. Literally, nothing is wrong with you. It's not your fault. That that got taken away from you, but yeah, I'm just it's it that one really also spoke to me. And I mean, how did you reach that stage of like acceptance? Therapy. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> it, was, it really was therapy. <laughs> it works wonders. I mean, it really does. And I, fun fact, I didn't go for therapy till I was twenty three. Mm-hmm. So for a whole part, like big part of my teenage years and my into you know, transforming into a young adult, I had to figure things out by myself yeah. because I always equated, like, my my own understanding of things and overcoming of things yeah. to my strength, yeah. you know? And I struggled with this idea of being unlovable, you know, for a very long time. In fact, it got me into some really bad relationships mm-hmm. um, that turned out to be extremely toxic. Yeah. 
and I refused to leave because to me being loved being in a relationship itself was a privilege oh my god you, yeah you, you know? really took the words out of my mouth yeah like when someone loves you like you gotta hold yeah. on to that because no one else is like that's the thought process yeah. that you know one could have it's like exactly. you gotta hold on because otherwise who else is gonna love you but that's not that's not obviously the healthy way yeah, yeah to stay in a relationship exactly and 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 in a, in some ways I wished I had therapy sooner mm-hmm. But I also don't beat myself up about it, you know. I, if I had therapy sooner, then I would have recognized that this experience in my life has not made me defective. Yeah. It has not. Like, you know, it's just it's just made things difficult for me. It's made things uncomfortable for yeah. me. But it doesn't take away my worth. Like, no matter what we go through in our life, our worth still exists, mm-hmm. you know. And But it's a very difficult concept to just accept and to just allow yourself. There were days when in therapy... I try to say that I know I am lovable and I just burst out crying because deep down I don't believe yeah. it. Even saying it now, you like I'm, it also, it, I can feel the turmoil and I'm just like, do I actually think I'm lovable? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a definitely it a process. And yeah. And like, it's it's one of those things where when you, it's it's like, it's logic versus emotion, you know? Logically, you know that you are loved by people. You have friends who adore you. Mm-hmm. But then there's an emotional part of you that's like, I'm just lucky that I have these people who love me, but I'm not actually lovable. Yeah. I don't actually feel like I deserve these love, yeah. you know? I, I'm i just bringing so much baggage and I just don't want to be... A burden. I don't want to cause anyone any... Yeah, I don't want to be an inconvenience to anyone. And this is very, very common trauma mentality. Yeah. You know, when you've gone through trauma and, and you feel like your emotions are an inconvenience to other people. But here's the, here's the fact. Okay, your emotions are a message from your inner self. Your emotions are there to help you guide through issues that you're facing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's it's basically like, it's just there to tell you exactly what is affecting yep. you. And that's why you need to sit with your emotions, you know, and... And it's it's hard, you know. Like I, it took me many years before I could come to a place where I was like, you know what? I don't deserve this shit. Like, I don't deserve to be treated this way in a relationship. I don't deserve to be disrespected like this. There were times when I was cheated in relationships, mm. and I knew about it, mm. and I still stayed. Girl, me too. <laughs> and the more I stayed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and like, I, I stayed, I stayed in the relationship, um, because I, because I was like, you know, it's me. I'm the one not good enough, good enough yeah. so that he left or he cheated on me because I'm not good enough. But here's the fact, okay? <laughs> cheating is a choice. Yeah. Cheating is a choice. You chose to cheat. You're the cheater. Yeah. Okay? And I will say this and I must own up, I have cheated too. You know, am I denying that? No. Mm-hmm. I have cheated. And am I proud of it? Mm-hmm. No. But that's exactly how I know it's a choice because I have cheated <laughs> and that was a choice I made and I'm living yeah, with it. Yeah. Okay, so all these other cheaters out there, you're better all Yeah. Up. Don't act like all sick. Okay, sorry, I'm, I cannot go into a rant right now. So see, I'm not always composed. Yeah. I'm not always composed. Oh like, my god. I have my moments. Of course you do. Yeah, but I mean, you know, what you said also about luck, I think... Uh, like how sometimes you feel that oh we're just lucky we have these people but I do believe that luck I mean something that kind of brings me back into realizing that first of all it's a whole mental game okay you got if you have these negative thoughts you gotta like talk to yourself it's not it's not weird to talk to yourself I spend like a lot of time just sitting down like people be like are you okay I'm like yeah yeah yeah, I'm fine just having conversation myself like to you know get myself pull myself back so if if ever I think that oh I'm just lucky that these people are my life they don't actually love me 
honestly, luck can only take you that far. If someone is actually wants to be in your life, like I'm talking about friendships, family members, yeah, they would be in your life more than because of luck. Like it's because they actually like you. And I know that's hard to believe in this moment, yeah. but they actually do like you. There is there, there are qualities about you or about me and about you that the people that are in our life were still confused about why are they still friends with me after these like 13 years? Haven't I caused them enough? <laughs> but like if they wanted to stop being friends, we're all adults here. Like if they wanted to stop, they would have stopped a long time ago. But they are not. So I think that's exactly. something we just, instead of feeling, pushing them away, just turn that into gratitude. And I think that's one way that I try yeah. and, well, when I'm, you know, stable, I'll be like, okay, let's turn that into gratitude. <laughs> but, you know, I have my moments too. So like, I completely feel you. Uh, therapy is the main thing that helped yeah. me to get over this feeling of um, self, lack of self, yeah. you know, and I'm very grateful for that because it really set my life in a better mm-hmm. way. And, you know, like when you've been surrounded by so much chaos and so much drama all the time yeah. and you're always overcoming something, it's very easy for you to get carried away with thinking that that's your identity. Like, I am the overcomer. Like I overcome things. This is how I know I'm strong. This is how yeah. I know I'm resilient. And these are things, strong, strength, resilience are things that I've always been proud of about myself like I've been proud that I'm a very resilient person mm-hmm. I'm proud and these are things I really latched onto. what I didn't realize is that I consistently kept putting myself in situations that that I had to overcome, overcome yep. you know yeah but it wasn't like conscious you know and I realized that there's this pattern in like the people I fall in love with there's a pattern with like the situations I put myself in and yeah I had to go to therapy and tell my therapist that I don't understand what the <laughs> hell I'm, I'm I've grown I'm smarter so why do I keep love in these stupid the situations I, I feel you I really that's the same yeah. thing my therapist told me that it's a very again it's a it's a very normal thing that people who have gone through this they feel that this is the only way they deserve to be loved which is why they keep putting themselves, they means me and you, yeah. and, you know, we keep putting ourselves in situations that we have to come out stronger because that's the only way we feel validated, yeah. we feel strong, but there are other healthier ways. That's the only way we can love ourselves, yeah. you know, because we find something worth, we're like, oh, at least I'm strong, yeah. you know, at least I'm resilient. I am now in a very happy relationship with a man who is so... Is in every way what I would want in them. I, I wish you both the best. I really hope that it goes forever and forever. I do want to bring up the questions that I got before we end okay, the episode. Yes, please do. Okay, so let me see. Mm. So I got a few questions on Instagram and I also got in... Oh my god, how do you pronounce it? Is it telonym, telonym, telinom? I just don't... Telonym? Yeah, that... Tel, tel, telonym? I don't know, that... that contract like that that contraption as well let's just call it nim nim yeah let's okay from nim nim as well <laughs> okay from instagram first <laughs> the first question is what can men do to improve the situation that's a very good question <laughs> i think first of all men can start by listening yeah. i think you know it's very it's very natural for men to feel like they have to defend themselves when we talk about like some kind of abuse that's happened. So the first thing I recommend for guys to do is just to start by listening. Maybe start conversation, ask your girlfriends or ask female or even guys in your life. You guys ever been through anything? Like, I want you to know that if you guys have been through anything, I'm here to listen. You know, listening itself is such a powerful way to show 
your support for someone. It's such a powerful way to stand in solidarity for someone. Even if you might not have the right things to say, just by listening, you can offer someone the right kind of support. Mm -hmm. And I think adding on to that, you can start calling people out that you are, that you can see if your peers are making um, inappropriate gestures to women, if they're catcalling, if you see someone, call them out. Um, That's something I think you can start by doing it's it's simple but i know it's hard because then you'll be the one that is singled out but you know <laughs> it's for a better cause and i think that's the first thing you can do really and call them out it's like it's more effective if a guy was to call out another guy than if a girl yeah. was to call out another guy yeah. because like when, when a guy i'm sorry but it just happens this is just how it is in society sometimes mm-hmm. it's um guy would be more perceptible or they'll be more, what's the word, receptive, yes. yeah. They'll be more receptive to a feedback like that, like if it was coming from someone of the same gender. Yeah, it, they'd be like, oh, my, 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 my guy friend is telling me that I shouldn't be doing this. Damn, I really mm-hmm, messed up, mm-hmm. you know? So like, they were like, <laughs> I mean, they're more receptive to yeah, that. Whatever works. So, but step up, just step right. up. The next question is, if someone shows me the hand signal for I'm being abused, what is the best action to take? Do I call the police, domestic violence hotline? What is the safest thing to do? You can definitely call the domestic violence hotline because I think they have a better set of like um, call to action Mm -hmm. that they can recommend for you to do given your situation. So not only people who are going through domestic violence can call the hotline. People who know of people who are going through domestic violence can also call the hotline. Call the hotline. And the hotline will be able to, the people at the other end of the call will be able to navigate you through that situation. And this is a very case-by-case thing. So if someone shows you the hand signal for it, it's most likely that they are not able to say anything in the presence of their abuser Mm -hmm. you know so calling the police and having the police show up there it could really put the victim's life in danger as well so we want to make sure that we go through this in a very tactful manner the best thing to do is to call the domestic violence hotline okay the next question is from telenim or whatever it's called um (laughs) telenim whatever it says how do i approach the topic of sexual violence with my parents when they're the type to always blame the girl I was a victim of sexual assault and whenever I tried to talk about it, even in general, they shut me down. Even when I told them about my friend who was assaulted, they blamed her, not knowing not knowing that the same thing happened to me. Mm. <clears throat> this is a very difficult yeah. um, situation to be in because I I think when we talk to our parents, we must also take into consideration that they come from a different generation they have come from a generation where there was a huge belief placed on victim blaming. Like it's it's very it's a very natural thought process to think that a reason the reason for a woman experiencing something is probably because of something that she did, because it had to be a cause effect mm-hmm. thing. What they fail to recognize is that it is the cause is the man or whoever, whoever the perpetrator is imposing their will over their victim, the effect is that the victim is traumatized. They're not seeing it as for what it is. They're always seeing it as the other way. They're seeing that there has to be a justifiable explanation to why the perpetrator proceeded to do what he did or what she did. Our parents don't realize this all the time. Yeah. You know, so perhaps... Perhaps... Maybe talk to a counsellor. 
like if you're still yeah, in school at least approach someone because um i know obviously therapy can be expensive so if you're still in school like i mean i don't know because it's anonymous but um universities secondary schools primary school like literally they will always have a counselor on hand which is free so i i would suggest just maybe talk to them first and maybe they can help mediate the situation with your parents and they would have the better knowledge and understanding on how to approach yeah. it with them but yeah i i mean uh, this sucks like it's it's I mean, one, one, this is a very, very difficult thing to do because not all parents, like my parents were very, they were very understanding to my process and they were quite, also they were super uncomfortable in the beginning and they saw that there were people who appreciated me putting my story mm-hmm. out there. And like, of course, there were times when my parents were still stuck in their traditional beliefs and they still thought that you know, a woman was asking for it and stuff like that. And I had to have very active conversation with them. And it's very easy to get angry with my parents when I feel like they're not understanding basic logic, you know, of like consent and all these things. And I had to keep reminding myself that they're coming from a different time. They grew up, they didn't have the resources that we have now, Mm. which allows us to like understand and um, the full definition of consent, understand what it means to be violated, you know, and... I think what I'm trying to say is you can try to have a very open discussion with them. Ask them why, I'll try to understand why they have the beliefs that they do. But I wouldn't hold my breath because not all parents are willing to have that discussion. Not all parents are willing to accept that they might have had the wrong belief all along. And so sad to say there will be some times when your parents might not be the best support system for you and you might have to just find alternative ways to find support and um yeah as long as you find it's it's the sad reality like it really is not not every parent is supportive and um just just know that if if you wrote in like there's other sources of help always always there will always be sources of help Okay, the next one. Okay, this one's a little bit of a long one. Um, it says, mm. Why are guys so adamant on believing that their guy friends who are nice cannot harass anyone despite hearing evidence and accounts from their female friends? We both follow many such people. It's a fact and a disease. So the question is, how do we call out our guy friends for defending such people without seeming uncool? If I had to unfriend everyone with this mindset, I wouldn't have any friends left. Haha. <laughs> I foresee you saying educate them. But really, do 23-year-old men need to be told and death to repeatedly? By the way, you've been listening to the podcast and you have a really nice voice for radio. Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't realize. Um, I like this telonym idea so we may participate as well. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you like the idea. But yeah, do we call out... That's a very good point. Like... Yeah, we would have probably said, like, educate them, then that's not the right thing to do. But really, do they need to be educated, like, all the time? Huh. I think this also ties back, right, I to what we were talking about earlier, like, how do men improve the situation? Yeah, I guess. It's just... Uh, how do we help this world, <laughs> really? <laughs> I am... I, you know, you can hear it from my voice. That It's just, this is an all-too-familiar situation for mm-hmm. me. And, well... There have been times when I I always try to understand why they have the beliefs that they do. So instead of like trying to force an opinion down their throat or trying to force something that is so factual, like this, there is proof that this person is actually violated someone else. Like, why can't you freaking see it? Mm-hmm. It's the same as like this whole 
this whole George Floyd situation yeah. now, right? When people are like, all lives matter. But then George Floyd is the one who died at yeah. the, literally on by having someone's knee on his neck. You know, it's a very, like, there's video proof of it. And why is still people, why are people still not able to see it for what it yeah. is? So it's frustrating. I get that. But sometimes it's just important to have discussions to understand why they come to that conclusion, you know? Like, um, there are so many instances where we think we know a person, you know? And I think this is one of the things that was discussed in our grandfather's story, um, that video that I did with them, which is that good people can do bad things too. Yeah. So you might know your friend who is such a good person, has been so helpful, who's a family man, who is so dedicated to contributing to society and everything. But that person can also very well be a perpetrator, mm -hmm. you know, because the nature of sexual violence is that it's so private. It's a, it's a very private thing that's happening. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a very difficult situation for like it's already taken so much away from the victim and for anyone to say that i don't believe this person could have ever done this even when there's evidence it's just more traumatic to the victims you know like, and yeah. just believe just just try to understand you know and oh my god i'm just so like frustrated i know i know <laughs> it's like, exactly what you said like just but then again, there are the people who lie. And so that's the next question, actually. Like, you know, when you say, I was also going to say, like, just, you know, just just believe them. Like, why would anyone lie about this? But then there are the, that's actually one of the questions. Yeah, there are. They said that, what are your opinions about women claiming to be raped only to realize 10 years later that the man was innocent and the woman lied? This has been happening a lot in our world and it's quite messed up. This always upsets I hate me. It. Yeah. I hate so it. This, I mean, like, if this, I, I, I will put my despise for women who lie about sexual violence to incriminate a man on the same level as I despise perpetrators. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I'm just like, as a woman, like if you, that is an abuse of the system because in Singapore especially, there is a women's charter that is there to protect women, yep. you know. And then I feel like if you're a woman and then you go ahead and you use that to your advantage to incriminate someone who didn't do anything to you, that is despicable. Yeah. That is something that I I will have no respect for you. But how can we solve this? How can we solve this? There can we like I do how do we prevent people from lying? I don't even know. Like I don't know what the answer to this is, but all I can say is that to the women or men or whoever lies about being a victim, you, all you are doing is making life worse for us. Because already we have so I much self-doubt then we have other people we are worrying exactly. about whether people or not believe us and why do we worry about whether or not people believe us it's because other people lie and you're ruining our credibility and then, now that's exactly and that stats is being used against us and for our it's it's it's, uh, it's like such a vicious cycle and like there's just so many factors that go into this but if you ask me, if it was up to me I would say that if you can prove that someone had lied about it they should be put in jail yeah. for the exact same thing that they they just incriminated someone else for. I agree. It's it's, it's because I think it's an ex it's it's a crime because you literally it, yeah, I think it should be considered a crime as mm -hmm. well if you can find out if there's a way to prove that the person was lying about it. But then again that's a double edged sword, right? Because what if like a victim who was right about it 
managed to like uh-huh. people managed to come up with some evidence that it's, it's never it's like, a perfect it's a never world yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a really a never ending cycle but <laughs> you're right yeah but i do think that but i do think that you have to put some accountability on the people actually who are like yeah coming yeah you know like they must there must be something at stake if they were like yeah. you know like For yeah sure. okay and the next question is have not heard the podcast but if these questions get addressed i will tune into the episode for sure so i hope you're tuning in <laughs> instead of spreading awareness make maybe ask your guest ways to hold people accountable how to handle situations practically everyone knows what sexual offenses are there is no need to raise awareness everyone is already aware so why are people getting away with it for example what should you do if the culprit is your close friend and you share many mutual friends who you know hold him in high regard what if it's your boss or family member cheers I think even before we answer this um I just want to point out that the this is again I think a misconception that everyone knows what sexual offenses are and um why and there's no need to raise awareness I think there is a very large number of people who actually don't know and those large number of people could have experienced it yeah. themselves and they don't know that it happened to them so that's mm-hmm. why I just want to like address it I think that's why we need to have awareness in the first place yeah. and that's why awareness needs to be raised because the sad truth is that not everyone knows and like for example i didn't know that sexual violence the term sexual violence also includes um not having the physical violence in- in aspect involved i learned that yeah. today and that's through awareness so but back to the actual question like what should you, what should you do if the culprit is your close friend and you share many mutual friends who hold him in high regard what if it's your boss or family member um Wow. I think the need for awareness is also so that you can have an environment where people are under people understand the gravity of sexual violence mm-hmm. and people understand that we should not have any tolerance for mm-hmm. it. So while you say that enough with the um there's enough of awareness already so like why do we I just want to know how we can put people accountable. part of it is by raising awareness so that when it comes to a point where you have to put someone accountable you can reach out to the people around you and they will know how to put people like the more you have more people you have on your side to hold someone accountable the higher the chances of that be- person being held accountable mm-hmm. so if you don't raise enough awareness and the people around you are like no like there's no way this can this, this guy can do this once again coming back to the whole good people can do bad things doing you know like and Yeah, so you just firstly let's talk about family members. Mm-hmm. Family members is a very complicated situation to be in. Because I had cousins who were raped by my another cousin Jeez. and they literally lived like houses apart. Like they li- live on the same roof and and even after my cousin came forward to talk about her experience with this other cousin nobody did anything about it you know and when your family it complicates the situation even more because then there's that whole like do you want to report this or do you want to do you want to not report this but how are we going to handle this as a family Ah uh, yeah there's no like one way formula for it mm. but what i can suggest is the best thing for you to do is reach out to organizations yes. that have dealt 
with a lot of these kind of cases. Organizations like AWARE, organization like um, Sexual Assault Care Center, which is the sister group of AWARE, reach out to them because they've handled a lot of situations like this where people were sexually abused by family members or by grandfathers, uncles, you know, and they can give you, they can offer you some guidance on how you can go about mm-hmm. it. You know, like I said, these things are just so case by case that there's no one formula, there's no one template that you can use for every situation. Yeah. Because in one household, the chances is that the child might be, or the, the, the victim might have a good relationship with the parents where the victim can tell the parents and the parents will stand by the victim mm-hmm. and hold the perpetrator accountable. There's also the other side where the victim might not have a very good relationship with the parents and the parents might be like, you know what, I can't confront my un- my my brother. I can't confront this person because like we are family, okay? We are going to have to meet each other anyways on like family occasions. So I just need you to forget about it. These two instances can happen and it's important to understand what the situation is and then you have to act according to the situation. Mm-hmm. You can still go ahead and file police report. You can but you must also understand, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't establish when they talk about reporting cases is that there is a chance that the perpetrator might not be given a sentencing and stuff like that. But this one, once again, reach out to the organizations where they give legal consultation for this. I know AWARE mm-hmm. does. I know AWARE provides legal consultation for mm-hmm. this. And, you know, know that Oh, man, this is just it's such, such a, a it's a very good question. Yeah. yeah, it's a very good question because I want to put everyone accountable. Yeah. You know, if it was up to me, I would put every single perpetrator accountable for their actions. But it is not so black and white in this yeah. world. It really isn't, especially you know? with the bosses. Well. Bosses, yeah, I was just like the boss. Like, yeah. it's, oh, God, it, it's, it's very hard because you don't want to lose your job, your livelihood. But also, like, how can you put yeah, yourself but, through that anymore? I honestly don't know. Um, as for your workplace harassment, um, or in, like, a school setting harassment, like what happened in NUS, mm-hmm. people have the misconception that you have to go to, like, the school authorities or the workplace authorities first before you can report a police case. If you want to report a police case, you want to file a report, go ahead, you can do so. Um, for some people, what they do is they tend to reach out to the immediate authorities, that means like the school authorities or like the HR in an office setting. And then if they don't do anything about it, it's when they go ahead and re- file a report. Yeah. This is also, once again, a very case-by-case thing. Like, is your office culture such that your HR will believe you? Mm. Is your HR going to support? Has there been strong... Um, what do you call that? Has there been... Did they strongly establish rules and... And, um, you know, sexual violence. My brain is blanking <laughs> out right now. It's probably because I'm hungry. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, those those things that um, they establish, like, the repercussions of sexual violence or the intolerance of sexual violence and harassment in office setting. Like, do they establish that very clearly or are they kind of just wishy-washy about this? By looking at how they deliver this information you can also identify how comfortable your office might be with holding people accountable yeah and based on that you can reach out to your hr if your hr is not following up with you it's not doing anything about it it's not holding the person accountable then you can reach out to the police Mm -hmm. 
once again, you can always, always reach out to Aware SACC and they will be able to guide you. And I cannot say that there's a 100% chance that the perpetrator will be held accountable. Yeah, and that's just a sad world that we live in. This is in. something that... Yeah, it this it took me and I, I'm I'm very upset that I have to deliver this fact yeah. because if it was up to me, like I said, I will hold every perpetrator accountable. But holding a perpetrator accountable is not just an individual thing, you know, like they have to face the repercussions of what they did and they have to face the sentencing for it or you know, just be held accountable and it's a lot easier said than yes, done. Yes, for sure. But I mean, yeah, there's really, really no right answer. But like you said, just at least reach out to organizations, make the complaint if HR allows it. Um, if not, the police really. And just really pray that you get your justice that you deserve. Yeah. I mean, these are just more of like external ways for you to hold someone accountable. Another way you can hold someone accountable is by you hit on confronting that person mm. and it's a lot more harder oh, than yes. any other option yes. here because um because you're looking at your perpetrator and saying you did this to me and i want you to take accountability for it and they don't and they may not yeah. they may not yeah, yeah. It, it's a very very scary thing but it's a very rewarding thing to do i think yeah. yeah it can be and it can be frustrating when like you see them walking around like nothing happened and stuff, and everyone and treating them being affected by mm-hmm. it. yeah but I guess you can get some kind of uh, closure from being able to look them in the eye and tell them that you did this to me and I want you to take accountability for yeah. it. And you can know that it's not for the lack of trying. And whether or not they do, the fact that you have recognized yeah. that... Not recognized, but the fact that you had the strength to even tell someone that you did this to me without the... Because there's always the fear of being gaslighted. There's always the fear of being like, no, wait, what yeah. are you talking about? I didn't do anything. And the doubt... But the fact that if you can hold your ground and say you did this to me, that in itself takes yeah. so much courage, so much courage. And that itself is something to be um, like praised. Yeah. You know, the, it, that, that's also a very amazing step. But and like, like you said, I, I mean, I really wish everyone would be held accountable, but it's just the world that we live we in we cannot i mean we can work towards a world where people can will be held accountable yes. but it's a it's gonna be a journey yes and it's not gonna be an easy no. one but it's gonna be a journey For sure. and i'm still gonna do what i can to ensure that everyone's held accountable mm-hmm. um we all can yeah. if if like 10 individuals come together and actively work on making someone accountable then that's a group of people holding a person accountable yeah that's better than none so before we yeah, before we... So that's why I said, like, before we expect other people to hold someone accountable, maybe we can just start with ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's that's a great way to put it. Okay, there are two more questions. Tell me, what did it take mm. you to become the person you are now? Oh my god. <laughs> Lots of... <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> it was not a... It was not an easy journey, lah. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was very, there was a lot of, there was several ups, but there was a lot of downs. There were a lot of lonely nights. There was a lot of beating myself up. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of feeling like I'm never going to be enough. Yeah. 
And but I think the most important thing is that I always had faith in myself. Like I always had faith in the world. It's this weird. I don't understand where I get it from. Like I've always, like despite all this horrible thing that's happened to me, I always looked at the world and I thought, "What a beautiful world!" Like I've never, I've never thought like the world is such a shitty place、mm-hmm. and that the world is the reason for what happened to me. Yeah, you know. And I think that that faith in just better people, the faith in good things. Has allowed me to come to a place that I am right now,、yeah. and most importantly, my faith in myself, knowing that I will make it, that I will be okay, and I will live the life that I want.、Yeah. And there were nights when I, I couldn't believe myself. I was like, "Yeah, what a bunch <laughs> of bullshit!" But、yes. you just have to hold on to that faith,、yeah. you know. I think even like、yeah. the, what you said about. Um. Oh, the world is so shitty. Like not thinking that way is such a great way to look at things because a lot of the times we're so quick to be like, "Oh, the universe sucks. It's the universe's fault." And when I also think about like, why did these things happen to me? I always one thing I always tell myself. I don't know if it's a saying that's actually like published. I don't know here whether I came up with it, but let's just for today <laughs> we'll just say I came up with it. Like, um, <laughs> tough situations are only thrown at people who can handle it. Like. Tough people, essentially. I'm sure someone has said、yeah. this before. Okay, but I'm gonna take credit yep, for it today. <laughs> so I like I have to, I always tell myself when someone asks me like, or, or rather when I ask myself like why why did this happen to me? I just tell myself because I was tough enough to handle it. Like because or the universe knew that or whatever higher power you want to believe in that they or the universe knew that I was tough enough to handle. That's why they threw it to me. And although in the moment it may seem like. Why me? You just gotta believe, like we said, like have that faith in yourself that you are strong enough to get through that. Well, that's actually a really good question, right? Oh my god. Okay, last question. Yeah, it's also a lot of、mm-hmm. like introspection. Like it's a lot of I had to. If I was not as aware of my inner workings, like if I was not aware of like the shifts that was taking place inside of me, I would not have the self awareness. And the realizations that I had, you know, and yeah, it'd be a process. It'd be like it really be. It's a long. You know what I always tell my friends: time heals, but I have no patience. So I don't like、mm-hmm. it. I'm the most impatient. Amen. Right, but you gotta just be patient and just sit with that process. And it will. It does always, always light at the end of the tunnel. There's that. There's that saying by Dumbledore. Shit! Oh my god! It's it used to be my wallpaper. You know、even、the one that the darkest of times. Switch on the light. Yeah, yeah. Even in the darkest times. of times, you can still. One must remember to switch on the light. Oh, yeah. It's like you, you can find happiness even in the darkest of times. One should only remember switch to on switch on, turn on、yeah. the lights. And I'll yes, say, oh, Dumbledore. <laughs> Team Dumbledore. Yes, King <laughs> spitting out facts. I know that was my wallpaper for so long. <laughs> Oh my god! Okay, I love it. Last question: Wait, Are you currently happy? <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> no, honestly, <laughs> yeah, I am. That's good. And you know what's crazy is that nothing all that big has happened in my life this year. You know, this year has been rather slow compared to all the past couple of years. Where every <laughs> month there was something happening and. There was something I was achieving or overcoming, but this year has been quite、Chill. slow and quite simple in comparison. And and I am happy. Like I'm not like doubting myself anymore. I'm not like you know 
beating myself up. Like, if I wake up late, I'm just like, you know what? It happens. <laughs> but yesterday, I did so many things. And today, I'm going to do a lot more things. And it happens. Mm-hmm. Don't stress. So, I am happy. Of course, I have some days where I'm just like, yeah, yeah this shit. Yeah, yeah, I am the worst. I know. But, <laughs> but uh, it's always great to hear. You know, I would say like, I'm like 90, 95% happy. So, that's good. Yeah. I hope I hope you are happy. Whoever's listening to this, I think happiness also is like a yes. It's, it's a process as well. Everything is just a freaking process. I think the word for today's podcast is process. It process. really is. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a lot happier than I was. I think last year, but I I know that I can be happier, and that's what you know. I just want to keep working towards that, like that level of happiness where I can be mm-hmm. like radiating it, and like everybody's like, "Damn, that girl is happy." I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> I feel like I'm on my way there. So, that I'm very happy with that. <laughs> I, I love when people are happy because, like, people deserve to be happy. Yeah. You know? We've all been through shit and we deserve to be happy. And I'm, and I'm glad when my friends and the people that I'm around are genuinely happy. I know, it makes me happy. But I just want to thank you for coming on my podcast and having taking the time out of your day to have this important conversation. And, um, like, I really, really appreciate it. This was such an informative and also just just very insightful conversation that I've had with you. I've learned so much through it. I managed to, like, be able to tell some of my stories, which I would have never said before. So thank you for that. Thank you, too. And I'm very, very proud of you mm. for doing this. I'm, I'm really grateful for every person who comes forward to, like, do something about and contribute to some kind of change, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm very proud of you and I am so glad that you asked me to be a part of this as well. Of course. Dude, I wish I could give you a hug, but then freaking COVID, man. Like Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully after so that we can doing, meet. We'll just we'll just we'll just we'll eh. do a hand <laughs> hand hug over Zoom yeah. or Skype. <laughs> anyway, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Where can they find you? Where can all the listeners find you? Uh you can find me on Instagram. It's Devika Panika. That's my actual name. <laughs> I'll leave all the links in the show notes. Just follow her. She does some really, really great work. And of course, all the different organizations that hotlines will also be in the show notes. So thank you once again for coming on my podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. And I will tune in with you in the next episode. Bye.